Friends, we've got another great episode of the podcast for you today. But before we get started with that, I just want to remind you that we've got an opportunity for you for just 20 bucks. What can you do for your leadership for 20 bucks? Well, I suppose you could grab a book on Amazon, but I want to invite you into what I believe is the best kept secret in Christian leadership development right now, and it is the Right Side Up Journal. Now, we are a coaching organization. We've coached leaders for many years at Stay Forth. I've coached leaders for over a decade. But what I was seeing is that leaders would head five steps ahead during a coaching session and two weeks later would kind of move two or three steps backwards. They were making progress, but they were losing some traction in the process. So we took about a year and we designed a journal that for 10 minutes a day can help you gain clarity, can help you take next steps. I have it open right in front of me here on my desk. I utilize it every day. And the Right Side Up Journal is built to help you live and lead right side up in an upside down world. Friends, it is hard to stay focused. Overwhelm is, I believe, at an all-time high. Burnout is all too common today. We want you to live and lead right side up. And we have designed the Right Side Up Journal for you. On the left page, you can plan your three blocks of the day. You can batch, you can block, you can stay clear. You can know if you succeeded when you head home each day. On the right side of the page, there's spaces to fill in, to doodle, to write quotes, to answer hard questions, to make sure that you don't miss the thoughts that come to you. Friends, this was designed in the trenches for leaders who are in the trenches. And we want to invite you to pick up a right side up journal today. It's a three month journey. And for just 20 bucks, you can get four of those for the whole year. You can journal your whole year for 10 minutes a day for just 80 bucks. I don't know where you can go for 80 bucks and get that kind of clarity, those kind of practical next steps. So pick up a copy of the Right Side Up Journal. If you don't like it, email us, let us know, and we'd be glad to give you a refund. That's how much we believe in it. Just 20 bucks. You can help to clarify your next steps and take them. Many teams are going through this together. Leaders from across the country, we send these out um, every week from probably all 50 states now at this point. We have a few we've sent out internationally as well. The Right Side Up Journal is designed for you. Any leader with any kind of influence who cares to steward it, you are invited to pick up a copy of the Right Side Up Journal. You can head over to rightsideupjournal.com. That's rightsideupjournal.com. You can find it in the show notes. You can also head over to stayforth.com and check out our journal. Friends, your leadership matters too much. The impact of leaders leading poorly and the impact of leaders leading well is significant. The question is, which of those will you be? We want to invite you to live and lead right side up in this upside down world. Now, on to our next episode of the podcast. We're talking to Tyler Reagan uh, about his book, Leading Things You Didn't Start. Uh, man, such a specific book that comes from a very specific season for you. Talk about that moment when you, yeah. quote unquote, have the keys to Catalyst. Take me back then. What was that like? What were you feeling? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that say, oh, I'll take those. And then you get them, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Dang, <laughs> those are heavy keys. This is a it's a big car I'm driving here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had come over to Catalyst after years of work with Andy at North Point, Andy Stanley, and um, Brad Lominick, who was my predecessor, had invited me to come be the creative director and then really developed the staff, the coaching stuff that we love to do. And uh, and then a year later, I he moved out and I moved in. 
And I can remember leaving on a Friday and coming back on Monday as a different role. And now I've got the keys to this thing that I'm, you know, it was interesting, Alan, because uh, you realize you're, you're stewarding legacies at that point. You're yeah. stewarding um, everybody's catalyst story. I mean, it's crazy to think the number of people that have stopped me in the hallways of events or this and that and the other saying, you need to hear my catalyst story and how God changed my life because of this thing. Yeah. Not, not even when I was there, right? And so now I'm stewarding this movement that so many people had, had been impacted by. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah, that John Maxwell started, good grief, the godfather of leadership for us, you know. And then Andy's been a part of it from day one. Craig Rochelle, Christine mm-hmm. Kane, Priscilla Shire, you name it, right? We're stewarding their legacies. Yeah. And, and including Brad Lominick and Gabe Lyons and Jeff Sinnerbarger, the guys that had led before me. And so... I just remember looking around going, well, well, what's out there that can help me with this? Like, I don't, you know, I knew there were a couple business books, but they're really specific about succession planning mm-hmm. and not any, not really in the faith book, faith-based, you know, I knew Todd, Tom Mullen's book, Passing the Baton uh, was out there and it's a great book. And, um, but I just thought, well, actually there's a million resources on startup and entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. but I started thinking about my friend group going, None of us do that. Like mm-hmm. I, I, maybe maybe ten percent of the world actually starts something, but ninety percent of us are going to step into something we didn't start. A team that was already existing, a job that had a uh, a clear expectation. Uh, you're following a leader that got promoted, who people loved, or you're following a leader that got fired and nobody liked. And so <laughs> there's just uniquenesses yeah. to the leadership, um, the leadership attributes required when you step into something that um, already exists. And so I just thought after doing that with Andy for years at the church and then, um, you know, leading Catalyst, I thought I had a few thoughts on that. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. I, I, I wrote the book, book I needed a couple years delayed, it <laughs> right. sounds like. So right. what are what are some of the lessons you think that God taught you in taking over Catalyst that you couldn't have learned if you were just starting your new thing? Yeah, you know, I, I think the scale of it is what made me hyper focused on these different ideas. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm I'm stepping into an existing team that's, you know, um I don't want to give an example because I don't want somebody to think I think it's a small, a small job, but like let's say it's an entry level position, right? And this team is is working on uh sales of something. You're not feeling the weight of all that legacy of all that national stuff, but the principles are the same. And so, you know, the whole first chapter is on the fruit of the spirit, Alan, because I believe, and I even write about this, which makes me laugh because one of my Amazon reviews is a two-star review saying this book is too simple. Literally (laughs) the whole chapter, the whole first chapter says, why do we overcomplicate things? We were taught the fruit of the spirit 2000 years ago, and they've stood the test of time. Now, Alan, let me ask you this. Let's say you have a new employee joining your team. And I tell you that within the first 60 days, they're going to just they're going to exhibit five to seven fruits of the spirit as they enter into the team that you're a part of, that you lead. I would bet, well, I'm not even going to bet. What would you, what would you tell me if I told you that was going to be the results of their first 60 days? Well, first of all, I'm going to say, I want to be around them. Right. I want to give them more and they're going to attract people to our team and to our org. They're going to say things like, man, there's no, 
competition. It's collaboration here. I just, I feel invited into this compelled and people wouldn't even be able to put words on it. Right. Like we're just, right. our hearts would connect to that before our, our words or our minds would. Yeah. And you're even going, uh, competency, they hired them because they're competent, right? But sure. like, holy smokes, they're kind. Wow. Okay. They're gentle with how they, here's a crazy thought. They're self-controlled in what they say and what they do. Uh, they're loving. You just checked their Facebook feed over the last 60 days. <laughs> I, I'm just saying like, yeah, that's powerful. And yet we want to add so many more layers on top of that of, well, they also need to do this, this, and this really well. Okay. But, 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 but let's back it up. Yep. Wouldn't we all say that is a win, win, win. If we have leaders that come in, whether they're millennial Gen Z or boomers, they are coming in with a posture that says, I want to bring fruit to the place that I am now um, a participant in and a leader in. And so um, I, I think that is, that's one of the lessons I learned early on, you know, again, Maxwell, who, you know, started this thing, always said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, I created this process in the book, just called the Epic Process. And it's it's simply just, you're going to evaluate. And I talk a lot about how to evaluate. You're going to have patience, which is one of the fruit of the spirit. But I end up speaking on that for three chapters. We can talk about that later. There's an implementation obviously required, but the C for Epic is care. And that's not a part of, that's not a step in the process. That is literally the foundation for all of it. And Alan, I just know that if I join your team and I care for you and vice versa, if, if, if I join your team and you care for me, man, that's going to go so far in just getting us started on the right framework and getting us going with momentum. Yeah. Well, think about in an org, you can go and move in any piece of that organization or team. Uh, if you've got those intangibles right there, your skill no set or passions may change over time. Um, but that right there is the core, that space, by the way, that'll get you recommendations when you move on because you're never there forever in yeah. that organization. And you're going to get that, man, they're a quality human, snatch them up. I actually did a recommendation for somebody, a bakery called me a while ago for somebody who I'd coached. <laughs> and I just said, I literally left a voicemail with 60 seconds. This is a quality human. You get exactly what this person says. Right. Hire them before somebody else does. Bam. They never called me back and they hired her because she's that quality, you know? Yep. Yep. So I just, I think about that. When you describe this, people are coming to my mind that yep. I go, yes, this is a quality human. I want to be part of their life, whether they're on my team or not. Talk and, about the challenge. Well, go I was ahead. just going to say, Alan, imagine that though. Like most people come in going, I want to show you I've got the, you know, the chops to pull this off. I want to yeah. show you I'm competent. I want to show you that you can, you know, believe that I can execute what well, yep. we do. We hired you for that. And you, you better do that. Like that's a standard. Right. Sure. But do it in a way that's so honoring to me, to the team, to the organization, to the platform that I now inherited. That's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that challenge, the tension between competency or capacity over here in character. Like that is attention. Dig more into that. Yeah, I, I think you can make it attention. I don't know that it has to be attention. I I want to hire great people. And I've said this for years and I'm still sticking with it. I, I haven't officially <laughs> fallen off this wagon yet. <laughs> I will take, and, and please understand my heart when I say this, I will take a B player with the right character and the right courage and the right fruit over an A plus pedigree that has none of that mm. every day, yep. all day, a hundred times out of a hundred. And, um, I just know that it's, it's, it's not about 
again, I want people to get educated and I want all those things, but it's not about those, those lines on your resume. I want to, I'll look at the resume. You, you know, as you, as you're a hiring manager, you look at it and you go, cool. The competencies there I'll call, you know, the chemist or excuse me, the character I'm going to call references. I want to check mm-hmm. on that. I want to ask people like you did for this person. Chemistry is going to matter almost as much as those two elements combined mm-hmm. because we could get an A plus player who has great character, but her and I don't fit together or he and yeah. I aren't a great fit. Yeah. You can't, you cannot make up that chemistry. Yeah. It's not something that happens. So um, I know there's a tension. Um, I, I, and again, I'm counter to a lot of guys I know that, you know, have grown up in spaces where they go, Hey, yeah, it's going to take me a while for me to trust you. Mm-hmm. I don't work, work like that. I don't right. need like that. If I bring somebody on to be a part of my team, I trust you from moment one. Right. Now, if you give me reasons not to trust you, those are coaching conversations we're going to keep having. And You're innocent till proven guilty. I mean, like, let's go. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so th- yep. you don't have to prove yourself to me. Right. All you got to do is prove that you're trustworthy mm-hmm. and you get the job done. You do it in a way that's honoring not just us, but the Lord in the way. We're yep. good. Yep. And what I hear you saying is sometimes we will have to choose, right? It's great if we can find both. Sometimes we'll have to choose. I'm with you, man. I take the bet over the person that has the fruitful, yep. faithful life. And man, that glass ceiling though, Tyler, I think this is the part that when I mean, you talk about it in the book, it's like, how do we grow people? Like call them forth to a space where they're not hitting the same glass ceilings they were before because they're in a safe environment that's growing them, nurturing them, yeah. uh, pulling them, sometimes pushing them along to greatness. That to me is, I think what people are longing for is a team like that. Yeah. Um, guys, we're talking about leading things you didn't start, Tyler. Reagan's new book, um, just about a month and a half out uh, from that. And we're talking about some of his journey into Catalyst, how yeah. few resources are out there. Talk about some of the challenges, maybe the top three. What top three challenges do you see in inheriting a team, a process, an organization that has a history beyond you? Yeah. So let's just think about it for a second. If you were to start something fresh, uh, there's zero financial history that you have to deal with. If you're starting something new, there's not a board in place that you're dealing with that dynamic. When you start something new, you're not inheriting people that have been there a long time that might not be the right people anymore. So there's there's significant mm-hmm. differences there. And honestly, that's the reason a lot of pastors will plant churches and have 300 people in them so they don't have to deal with the 4,000 people and all the traditional stuff that they have to inherit and go through to move something forward. Um when you inherit something, there's financial history that's good, bad, or different, but you got to deal with it. When you inherit something, you got a group of people that are looking at you going, well, he's not, she's not. Oh, she's great at this, but not that. I miss yep. this. I want that. I came here for this. One thing you got to realize is that when you join a team or you're the boss now, none of them, when they took this job originally, had you in mind. <laughs> and so there's some reality to that. One of the, you know, I have four case studies in the back, Alan. And one of those is with um, Buzz Williams, who's the head coach at Texas A&M basketball, men's basketball. And I had interviewed him. He's a good friend of mine. It was his fourth major Div- division one program that he had taken over. And he was only a hundred days in. And I can remember just going, coach, like, what do you do when you've got a group of players looking, going, I didn't sign up for you. Yep. You didn't recruit me. I don't care about your culture. I don't care about your accolades. Like this affects me more than it probably even affects you. 
how do you get them on board? You know, and he was really honest. He said, you know, some of them, I gave them the release if they wanted to roll, because I knew if they wanted to it's roll, it's called transfer it's, portal. It is right. Yeah. And, and, but you have to be honest about it. a lot of coaches are going, no, I'll get them. I'll win them over. I'll do this mm-hmm. kind of thing. So even when I took over catalyst, I waited a little while, I waited about three months till Brad kind of clarified what he was doing. And, and I remember sitting with the team that was still there and I knew Alan going into that and I hate rhetorical meetings. So it wasn't like I went into like, I'm, I'm a no rhetorical meeting kind of guy. So it wasn't like, Hey, I know what I'm trying to get from this. What I also knew though, is there were a couple of players that have been there a long time yeah. that, that were going to really have to wrestle with the truths of how I was going to lead and the culture expectation I had for them. And my gut was they weren't going to make it. But I remember sitting with the team. I laid out the six personal uh, like characteristics of what it meant to be a part of this team. My expectations, if you're sitting in the circle. And then I looked at everyone and I said, here's the other thing you've got to pray through. I'm never going to be Brad Lomley. Simple as that. This is what I'm going to hold you accountable to behavior wise. And I will never be Brad. Now, it doesn't mean I don't love Brad. And it doesn't mean that there's things that he did that I want to do as well as him. But my point is. Tribute to Brad right now. Brad, you're a beautiful right. man. If you're listening. Oh, of course. And he knows that. Like, And he and I are still really close friends. And But I never tried to be Brad. Yep. I'm just going to lead from myself. But I knew those two answers would, would, would force the thinking in some leaders going. And I just said, if that's not going to work for you, that's okay. Right let's figure out what will work for you and let's get you there. Yeah. Like, let's, who do you want me to connect you with? Who you, but the others, it created a system or a, an accountability, a standard that said, if you're going to sit in this circle, you're going to agree to these behavior and not just me, the boss is going to hold yeah. you accountable, but this group is going to, you're on team now. And yep. if, if your teammate sees you acting counter to what we've all agreed upon to sit in the circle, they're going to hold you accountable to that. Yeah. So it was just yeah. kind of that, how do you get people on board when you didn't hire them? You know, yeah. it's a, it's a really yeah. unique thing that it yeah. is very specific when we do this. You talk about honoring an organization's past without getting stuck in it. Yeah. Practically speaking, how do people do that? Man, I, first of all, I've always aired on honoring too long. And sometimes that has gotten me in trouble, but I still would air that side. Like, uh, but one of the ways to do that well is to honor the things you want to celebrate. Because when you celebrate, it creates value. It shows your DNA. It shows what you care about. It shows your value systems for culture. And so even with when I took over, I was crazy honoring about Brad's leadership, about what Catalyst yeah. has experienced and what Catalyst has done publicly and privately. But I would also, I wasn't honoring things that I didn't necessarily want to continue forward. You know what I mean? Like um, I wasn't saying everything was perfect. I just... It was just a simple, I'm right. so grateful to be standing on the shoulders of guys like Brad. Yep. And then I moved on. Yeah. But it took me a minute to just go, I care about the past. I'm not ignorant to the past. The yep. past has defined what we are currently sitting in. Yeah. And I honor that. And I'm amazed by that. It is God has yep. done amazing things. And I remember saying to the team, even when Brad was still around, when I was just the creative director, he would ask me, where do you think we should go? And I remember saying to them, before I tell you that, here's the understanding we have to have. That when I refer to where I think we're going, it is not an indictment of where we've been. That's right. Yeah. But so often, Alan, right? We think, well, you, that means you don't like Brad because you don't mm-hmm. like that. I'm like, right. no, it's not true. We're different leaders. And I think mm-hmm. we need this for this new season. And that wasn't his greatest strength or his favorite thing or whatever the thing may be. So sure. just trying to cast a compelling vision, shifting focus a little bit while we honor the past, is just critical for this, yeah. this first step. 
That was probably my favorite part of the book, Tyler, because I think that we, um, we often believe that we can't honor and be honest as well. I believe those are parallel tracks. Sure. You can honor and be honest. Now it's hard. It takes a lot of discernment, but I think in our culture, we think, Oh, you have to choose one, right? I'm going to rip them yeah. a new one, or I'm not going to say anything, but just to honor what you can, but to not get stuck there, right? We're moving toward the future. We are not going to stay in the past. Think about a lot of pastors um, probably have some of the hardest job here because, you know, you mentioned elder boards, Teams that people that were faithful uh, to the older pastor that had been there for many, many years, the older way of doing it. They let me have the carpet this color. Let me do this thing. And it's like, and I appreciate that. I'm not them. And so if you're listening and you're a pastor, I just want to say like, I have a special empathetic place in my heart because it's a highly relational organism and organization. and And it is both. And man, that can be really challenging when people say, I'm not just hitting the transfer portal because I'm a player who wants to go to the NBA. Uh, I'm out, right? And and may or may not come with it some hard feelings. So it's just, it's challenging. This stuff's real. Um, I appreciate the book because you're not trying to, you're trying to simplify it, but you're not trying to um, make it seem simplistic or like it's easy. It's real. Um, It's real. People are real. (laughs) It's real. It's hard, right? There's a reason you wrote, you know, 200 pages on the the subject. Talk about modeling. What are a couple of things you think we desperately need to model right now to our teams? and I would pull this back to just my general faith leadership thought. I remember graduating seminary and all these leaders going, yeah, well, I'm called to preach the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, 20% of the time, but 80% of the time you got to lead. And what we see in ministry more than we need to is guys and girls that can preach the paint off the wall, but don't, that doesn't carry over to Monday through Friday. And so your words lose power when you don't model that for people. And so if you come in, you take over something you didn't start and you're like, guys, we got to be financially sound. We've got to have uh, everything. Here's the system I want in place for how we do project management. And here's the thing. Well, no, y'all do that. Like, I'm just giving you direction. Well, what? Like, wait, aren't we, are we in this to get like, what? Like it, it's got to connect. You've got to go first. You know, one of the things I, I always like to say when I was at Catalyst is, I was the best palette wrapper. That was my passion. Like I wanted, I wanted to wrap the palettes better than anybody on the team. And the reason was, is I was the president and I'd earned the right to not wrap palettes, but every new staff member, every intern, I took it on myself. Um, and Chrissy would always let me do this. She was our VP of events. I wanted to teach all the new staff and the interns how to wrap palettes mm-hmm. because we were in the event business and we shipped a lot of stuff and we had to move palettes and a lot of people in my seat would not wrap pallets. They would be down in some important room in their mind and they would be working on a quote unquote email or whatever the thing is to look and feel important. I want to know that they know that I'm in them. I'm in it with them. Like we're in this together. And so if I'm telling them that how important it is to wrap pallets and I've never touched one, that doesn't work. It disconnects. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they keep talking about the next generations want authenticity. Well, they also want real leaders who are not just going to tell you and point the direction. They're going to walk with you sometimes. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, I'm here. Like, again, when you step in and you go, we're going to care for people. And yet you're ignoring all these, uh, you know, requests for time. You yep. are in and out late. You don't, you only meet with your favorites, whatever the thing may be, you are talking out of both sides of your mouth and that is not going to gain influence for you early on. Yeah. You ever, but you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just mission critical in my opinion that we are absolutely modeling the vision, the better culture, the Mm -hmm. better way to do it. 
Um, because if we don't, then that says, do I actually believe that that's really better? Yeah. I don't know too. Yeah. You talk a lot about vision and some specifics about vision, really good stuff about vision casting in the book. But one of the things I noticed is that we, and I, and I say this quite a bit is we worship at the idol of vision uh, yeah. in the West in the future. We're so focused on the future. We actually forget to celebrate and the call to Israel is always remember, remember what I've yeah. done for you. Remember how I provided for you. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember I am providing for you in the desert yeah. right now. Um, and one of the things we can do is model that celebration. So I want you to talk about that for a minute. What are some ways we can celebrate uh, with our teams? And what are some uh, things that we miss out on when we don't? Well, you're just missing out on chances. Easy, easy chances, low-hanging fruit to invest in your team. Like that's, but you're also missing out on a chance to create culture because what you celebrate becomes culture. People yeah, recognize right. if you love this, then I need to do more of that. If you didn't like that, I should probably try to do less than that. Now, again, we will have some leaders that aren't necessarily as quick on the, on the drawing those things. But nonetheless, when you yeah. celebrate, you're saying this is what matters to me most. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that at North Point. We do all staff meetings and, you know, it was always, hey, how do we know we're winning? And people and, it, and the goal was that people would always celebrate somebody else. I saw this value in John. I saw Stephanie man, she did this. And I thought that's what we talk about day in and day out. You know, Lencioni says he's the chief reminding officer. Well, celebration is a chief reminding opportunity, right? It is the way in which we say, this is what matters most to us. This is what it's all about. Um, And so I just think, I think that's mission critical is that Mm -hmm. our, how we celebrate uh, people, how we celebrate Mm -hmm. the, the, um, I, I, one of the coolest things we did. So for 10 years, Catalyst had a, um, a very significant partnership with Compassion International. And I know you're in Colorado Springs and you have a relationship with Compassion. Yeah, as well. I'm Compassion. actually heading out a week or two on a Compassion trip domestically with some pastors. But um, uh, a few years back, maybe a year or so before I left, they came and presented us at Catalyst West. They didn't tell me this collage that made up a picture of one of the boys that sponsored, but it's pictures of thousands and thousands of kids that have been sponsored through Catalyst West. And they made up this picture of one kid, right? It's it's like in the old Testament, they would, they would put the rocks and, and, and create yeah. that, that every time you walk by it, you go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe we got to be a part of something like that. Yeah. Well, you're, when you're grinding and you're working through partnership and you're making sure you're honoring them and day in and day out, you're thinking about how do we do this right? And how do we get more kids sponsored? And uh, gosh, we got to make sure we say this in a way that, that really works to get more kids, like all the work that went into it. And yet you walk by that picture and you go, look at God's faithfulness. Well, yep. the faithfulness was the faithfulness of leaders year after year after year. That's one simple celebration that we get to be reminded over and over and over again. This is why we do what we do. So I just think creating those, those memorials, for lack of a better term, but also in your day-to-day meetings, staff, when you're leading people one-on-one, say it out loud. Look them in the eye. Go, I, I just have to say, the way you led that was unbelievable. Yeah, I couldn't even believe you thought about it like that. That's good, man. Love it. Again, we could talk for hours. Sure, we'll have you back here on the podcast. By the way, you're in the two-timer club. Been yes. Here on the, actually, three, three-timer. I take that back. We, we will give you three. You were here with Josh Turner. That's right. The that's second right. time. So Gosh. you are actually Trifecta. the first member of the three-timer <laughs> Trifecta Club. 
which we didn't know we had until just now. Uh, so thanks for creating a new category. We're celebrating, right? Moment. We're practicing right. what we preach. That's I right. celebrate your faithfulness to come on back for another conversation. <laughs> Uh, but I know your heart is for pastors in a huge way. Let me share this yeah. common burden. We care for leaders, but right now, I feel like there's a special place in our hearts for pastors. Talk to pastors yeah. for a second. What's your dream for them? Oh, man, we could talk a long time about my dream for them. At the end of the day is that they recognize that a calling to ministry is not a calling to a lack of life and a lack of fullness. Um, if anything, it should be the opposite of that. And yet day in and day out, you're met with expectations that are crushing potentially from people that don't know what they mean by that. Um, you're met with the expectation of being a CEO of a small to medium company when zero of your training was based on that. You are met with the expectation of if you're not funny, clear, concise, and theologically sound for 30 minutes every Sunday, we're going to go somewhere else. Um, people that don't know what you have to do and go through critique you day in and day out. And yet, that all sounds rough. But when we get to point people to the greatest event in the history of the world, because the greatest God, the God that we serve, the God that we love sent his son. We're literally, as we're recording, we're a few days away from Good Friday and Easter. And like, it's just ridiculous that God lets us partner with him to do what we're doing. And as you and I have talked, Alan, this is why we get into it. Yeah. Like, honestly, and, and we've talked pretty openly about this for about a year and a half after leaving Catalyst, I was okay just to quote unquote work, like just go do work and not not try to go big, you know, or go yeah. home or whatever the thing yeah. is. And then we lost <laughs> a, a mutual friend to suicide. And that was my third pastor friend in 12 months that I lost and to suicide. And I just remember hearing the Lord say to me, my soul was very unrested that weekend. And I heard him say, you, you buried the talent. And, uh, that was pretty convicting. Mm. Um, and honestly, I wow. knew I did, I did it. I did it intentionally wow. because I was hurt. And I was sad and I was mm. tired and I kind of didn't, I just wanted to work. I'm serious. I just wanted to work. <laughs> like, yeah. But the calling yep. was kind of sat mm. to the side for a minute. Mm. And so when I talk about these expectations that pastors deal with, we deal with them because the calling is better than that. Yeah. The calling is greater than that. Man. And the expectations are worth fighting through. And so my heartbeat for pastors is going, yes, it's a pain in the butt, but isn't it worth it? Yep. And oh, by the way, the answer is yes. But if you lose yourself trying to deal with those fires and you are not healthy and, and fighting for the right things for your own life, you will not make it through this. Yeah. And so our goal, your goal is to be preventative in nature. We don't want you. We don't want to just save you off the that's rails. Right. We want yeah. to get to you beforehand so you can do this for the long haul. And so, yeah, that's a few of my thoughts. I, I really am with you, man. I'll do whatever I can to serve pastors. So good, man. Appreciate your heart, what you guys are doing. Guys, again, this great conversation with Tyler Reagan, leading things you didn't start winning big when you inherit people, places, and possibilities, all the things, the good, hard, and everything in between about that. Man, love having conversations. Welcome to the Trifecta Club, the one and only. Hey, we'll have so you back So you're going to let me interview the guys that come on for the, the third? Like, I get to be a part of the Trifecta Club? I think so. There's got to be some rites of passage, maybe something swords, there. fire, something, something scary. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll invent it and we'll tell people it's normal every time someone joins the Trifecta Club. But That's right. Man, love what you guys are doing. 
so grateful uh, for you guys. And again, guys, pick up this book, especially because most of us are leading things we didn't start. I mean, you think yeah. about that. I absolutely agree that there are so few resources. I think we honor the person that starts the thing, the entrepreneur, the one with the brilliant idea. I've got perhaps the best question for you, perhaps the hardest question for you. The best. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, corners it. you. He's uh, You're in an alley. He seems like an, a nice enough guy, but man, he yeah. turns mean. Oh. You've got to destroy him, either emotionally or physically. How would you beat up the behemoth that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson? That's not a, that's just a weird question, Al. It's not even, I love it. You're like, that's the best question. That's just weird. I think it's, it's the best. We've been asking it in our ladies uh, podcast series. And I think we're going to carry it on because it's been so good. Now I think emotionally you could damage him or physically you could damage him. Either one. I'm going to give you options. I know. I, my goal would be physically because something in me just cannot attack emotionally. Like it just, it's, Mm. I've spent my career trying to Mm. keep people healthy from attacking people mm. emotionally. You're good, um, and I think I've, se- I've seen enough on rocks Instagram that like mm. he's had plenty of internal injuries and he's mm. recovered just fine. So my, my gut is I got to figure out some sort of weakness. Um, Cause the truth is I'm just going to do, I'm going for one, one shot mm. running like yeah. crazy. Like there's no way I'm sticking around to see what happens. That's why I the shin kick or the punch to the sternum or whatever Ooh. I might give a shot at. I just got to stun the Joker so that I can mm. get the heck out of Dodge guys. This wisdom does not grow on trees. folks. <laughs> you get, you get this for free here on the podcast. Uh, so grateful for you coming by. Good luck with the rock. If he ever corners you, but uh, man, loved having you. Thanks for having me on. Shot, shot. We ain't focused so long.